when there's no more room left in hell, the pod boys walk the earth. And let me tell you something, hell is full up. That's right, it's America's most consumerist podcast, The Pod People. I'm Matisse Van Rossum. I'm a thief and a bad guy. That's exactly what I am. I'm the Duke of the Zombie Meat Freezer, Ben Sheets. (laughs) And hi, I'm uh, just your average consumer zombie, uh, Cleveland Mosier. Well, we're doing a a big episode this week, a classic. Kind of hard to believe that we have gone over three years on this podcast without uh, talking about a single one of George Romero's Dead Trilogy. We've honestly been very light on zombie movies overall, which is, in my opinion, probably for the best. I mean, what what other zombie movies have we done? We did Return of the Living Dead with John. We 28 did, Days. We Ravenous. did 28 Days. Um, Ravenous is a, uh, is a Wendigo movie. It's no, no, same. no, the other one. The French <laughs> one. With the, the pile of chairs. Yeah, we did. I forgot about that. Ravenous for the pile of chairs. I would rather forget that one. Oh, I can't. I totally forgot about that movie. That movie sucked shit, man. Yeah. Anyway, not to immediately derail us, uh, this week we're talking about uh, the 1978 zombie classic, uh, Dawn of the Dead. A movie that, uh, as as you elocuted a moment ago, uh, d- does not suck shit. This movie fucking rules. Yes, it is uh, written and directed by the late, great, legendary George Romero. It is the second in his Dead trilogy. Um, it follows Night of the Living Dead and precedes Day of the Dead. Uh, and it stars uh, Ken Forey, David M.G., Scott H. Uh, Reiniger, and Galen Ross. And it's about zombies, and they hold, the, the people hold up in a mall to get away from them. It's about zombies. Cleveland, this is yet another uh, first for you, huh? As uh, the saying goes, I'm baby. Cleveland is baby. Uh, this is a film that I know Ben and I have seen a handful of times each, um, but this was your first time. So, as always, why don't you start us off with your general impressions? Not not always, but most of the time. Yeah, uh, I, oh, I, I adored it. I'm, I'm just, I'm so happy this is the second time in a row. No, the third time in a row. Like, I have gone into a zombie movie feeling like I was done with zombie movies, and I'd seen all there was to see, and then I was over it. And I, I still, even though I, I've had that opinion changed every time, I still went into this movie with that same opinion and uh, with a very just sort of lax attitude because I know how influential this one is. So I figured, okay, I'm going to see the movie that all of these other films and shows and games and books have been based around, have been really built up around. Because, you know, you've got Night of the Living Dead, but, you know, uh, I think Dawn of the Dead is what really, I think, is probably the most influential zombie film of all time. Yeah. Even without having seen it, like, it's hard to not know that. So I, I personally love Night of the Living Dead and might prefer it to this one, but I know that I'm in the minority on that and that, like, this is, for many people, like, the seminal zombie yeah. film. And it for damn good reason. I, it 
it is like uh, or at least like when it comes to the influence it had there's something to be said about this movie wouldn't exist without Night of the Living Dead so but zombie movies for what they are they just wouldn't be without without this film I think it just it hits all of those key points but but here's the thing this movie hits all those key points better than just about any other fucking film that came after even it. still I, yeah I, well into this movie I, I was I was just saying I think I said it multiple times just why did they even fucking bother after this like <laughs> why I feel like so many of these others like zombie films the not good ones and games and things have just been wasting my goddamn time now I could have just watched this one and just gotten like so many of those boxes checked not all the boxes yeah Return of the Dead fucking rules yeah Return Tarman, of the Dead there's so and, many reasons to watch that movie and obviously Day of the Dead yeah. that follows this up is also incredible and 28 like, did something great, for it you there, know there's other great zombie films after this one but yeah, and I'm I trying agree. to get all those references like it, out of the way at the start. <laughs> it, it sets it sets the bar so high, and it wrote the lexicon for pretty much every zombie movie that came after it. Not even just zombie movies, like the whole fucking Dead Rising video game franchise just is Dawn of the oh, Dead. Oh yeah, that's one to one. Like the entire yeah, it's like it's all centered around zombies in a mall and using the mall to survive. Sure, Left like, for Dead. Yeah, Left, Left for, for Dead. Dead. Like the the whole pacing and structure of that is. I mean, it's well, the this movie does it so perfectly that future zombie movies had to think of interesting ideas to try to push the genre forward, and they don't always work. Like I think uh, many get lost you know, in the Like this movie, the slow zombies are such a source of dread and they do it so perfectly in this film Mm -hmm. that like future zombie movies, you know, usually go with fast zombies, especially nowadays. Well, yeah, since Danny Boyle and uh, and Alex Garland set the bar Mm -hmm. with 28 days later. And they really should have stopped after 28. I think I think 28 did it so well. There there are other examples. Sure. I, I just think there's so much more you can do with slow zombies. The reason that we see so many like fast zombies now, I think, uh, in part is because of that whole more is better idea. And I've brought that up before where it's like so many of these like executive run films are just all about like more bigger is better. And it's not it's just not like well, I think the problem that people have, especially more modern generations have with like the classic slow zombie is because they think it's boring and they get bogged down in the details of, oh, it's not threatening you can just run from it you can outrun it and like yeah they do that a lot in this movie but the horror of the slow zombies is that yeah you can outrun them but not forever because no matter what they're always going to be there it is the looming threat of impending death and even if you do survive in the midst of the zombie apocalypse, what kind of life is that? And that's something that is largely thematic in this film as well. They spend the whole movie holed up in the mall, and by the end, they've they've been inflicted with malaise. Like, there's nothing they can do. They've become consumerists themselves because all they can do is stay in the mall and play with all the toys, but they're not doing anything. They're not Mm -hmm. living for anything. And, like, that is the horror of the slow zombie. You can outrun it, but not forever. Just like you can't outrun death itself. Just like you can't outrun capitalism. Exactly. <laughs> Very much so. Uh, yeah, this this film is is uh, not so subtly a, uh, a, um, a critique and commentary on uh, consumerism and American capitalism at large. Well, it's not subtle. 
I never found it pretentious, mm-hmm. and I felt I, I it, it's just it's so consistent, like in its commentary too. Like it and just it only, feels well written. And the only like, reason nice. the only reason that it's not subtle is because it's 40 years old and uh and like there's been like it's been so analyzed and picked apart and like the themes have been explored and redone so many times that you look at something like this is like oh yeah i get what they're saying right well like it was that's largely why it was one of the first yeah that's to really do like consumerist commentary in in a horror genre you know yes that that is uh exactly why i opened with consumerism because i I kind of want to get that out of the way. Also, I want to get the zombie references out of the way. I want to get I want to get the consumer stuff out of the way because that's been talked about by so many other podcasts to death. And I think that there are. Yeah, well, they're not this podcast. You are correct about that. Uh, please, please, listener, uh, cares, stick, stick around. About other podcasts. <laughs> yeah, fuck them. Uh, it is it is quite true. It works so well. Uh, a moment ago, you mentioned how this film is very cognizant. It's very well paced uh, to to get another reference out of the way. I'm going to go for a book which is, of course, the uh, zombie survival guide, which also just kind of feels like a waste of my time now. I used to think it was great because this movie really hits all the key points in the same fashion. It is very fun, uh, or at least it used to be. It's uh, it's. I'm a little over it now, but it used it used to it's be very. Done to death. Yeah, it, but it used to. It, there was a time where it was very fun to play the how do you survive the zombie you know uh, apocalypse what game. would you do what yeah. would you do and it's every teenager's favorite thing to do it is it is yeah. and you know there's there's that tribal element to it there's the otherness factor there's there's all that horrible stuff as well but the fact of the matter is it's a very popular thing to do this movie does it so well once again i think it's it's probably the best example of like a zombie film being cognizant about the world of zombies i'm hard pressed to think of a better one 28 days does a great job with the fast zombies and i think that they they bring up a new uh, enough new things at least for when it came out and yeah. i think that the last of us uh does for their their different types of zombies and it's you know like it's it's playing off of like cormac mccarthy's the road so heavily but but this when it comes to just traditional which doesn't even have zombies in which it. doesn't it's all about humanity which yes uh, Again, this movie also, which this movie also plays into, Um, like it it manages to capture those those same elements extremely well again, and and the the tone the tone is is fan fucking tastic as well. It's it's all over the place, and you you know you're gonna laugh, you're gonna cry, you're gonna sing like it's all over the place, but with with purpose. Usually when you say not in like a higgledy piggledy way, like yeah, when usually when you describe something as all over the place in a film that is usually. Usually constitutes messiness. No, no, no. And I a, don't think this film is messy. But well, in a does. variety is the spice of life. Yes. In a, and that's why I use the you're going to laugh, you're going to cry, you're going to sing, like talking about opera. Like it's it's operatic in that sense. It's like dynamic. You, thank you. That's what I mean. And and that's that's where that's where I'm getting at. But well, well uh, noted. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about here. There so. is, and I want to try to not um, ramble, but I think we already I already have been. So <laughs> let's start with the opening scene. Uh, the news station, oh, yeah. I think that's such a great opening to kind of set the stage for this film mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, news anchors 
just screaming at each other. The apocalypse is already in full swing. In Night of the Living Dead, we got the beginning of it. We got the dead first, uh, you know, coming back to life. But when this film starts, everything's already fucking going. Society is collapsing in real time. And our first two characters were introduced to Stephen and Fran, uh, work at a news station. Uh, Fran is, uh, is like a producer and Stephen's like the, the weather traffic helicopter guy. Um, and if, uh, you haven't seen this film, don't let that fool you. Even though they're at a news station, we still don't get that tired old broadcast where we get all our exposition like we don't well, no, that doesn't that, happen because here. that requires decorum you get, at this point everybody's freaking the fuck out you get bits and pieces of it but it's so chaotic because everything's gone to shit yeah society's that, already crumbling uh you know you get great points like the producer in the booth screaming that the overlay should be on because if they aren't people will change the channel yeah. which i think is a great commentary on the you know nature of tv viewership mm-hmm. <laughs> and how even in the apocalypse that's all they care about still worried ultimately. about ratings yeah yeah, yeah. Well, see nightcrawler for more on that what's what's so great is that uh the majority of the exposition in that opening scene is delivered ambiently by the two guys who are currently like on television like the program they're doing like a like a, a a debate or an interview or something and one guy who's like the scientist is like trying to explain what is happening and the other guy who's like the skeptic is like yelling it was like how do we fucking know this is happening like i don't know what to believe masker know? versus anti-masker yep. right there yeah i mean <laughs> watching this film now uh it's it's easy to draw some fucking parallels that's for damn sure i think yeah we we drew a lot of the same ones during the 28 episode mm-hmm. but well definitely worth mentioning yeah again. i mean i think this one is is in a lot of ways even more even more uh cognizant of that and stuff. we're also like, deeper into the pandemic it's been months very since true then. i mean i don't know if i what what this movie made me think of this time i don't know if y'all remember uh like back last summer when we were a couple of months into lockdown years and people ago were really starting to go stir crazy and there's that video of like the people in dc or something like banging on the doors of like a tgi fridays or something to let like let us in oh, yeah. and eat and there's the one lady who's just like licking psychotically the licking the glass mm-hmm. door it's like <laughs> that is like subtext is fucking dead man life like, imitates how, art yeah, yeah it all comes around like <laughs> that's the kind of thing that several years ago i would have thought is like there's there's no way like that is just a uh, a George Romero movie. And yet here we are. Yep. And yet here we are. Yep. Living in hell. Living in hell. <laughs> hell is full. Hell is full. And now. the dead are walking the earth. <laughs> <laughs> So in uh, uh, brighter, brighter news, uh, we we cut to uh, some some <laughs> army men storming the ghetto. Uh, a SWAT team, yeah, a SWAT team uh, storming the ghetto. A project housing complex. They're uh, after some uh, drug lord or something who's holed up in there. But also, it's happening in the midst of the zombie apocalypse. So as they're storming the building, you know, they're also having to deal with zombies, which is another fucking great set piece. And and inspired other films, I think, uh, the likes of uh, Wreck and Quarantine, which is just an American remake of Wreck. But yeah, and that's when we're introduced.
introduced to our other two characters, uh, Roger and Peter. Peter, who is played by the legendary horror character actor Ken Forey. Well, um, legend indeed, yeah. frankly. Oh, my God. Who, yeah, has been in uh, several of the films we've talked about on the show. Uh, frequent Rob Zombie collaborator. We talked about him in our Rob Zombie episode. And most recently uh, in our From Beyond episode because mm-hmm. uh, he's Bubba in that movie. I love that his role starts with him just murdering one of the racist cops. Yeah. And our he's totally guys. snapped. He's yeah. totally snapped. He's seen this as just the perfect opportunity to kill all the just indiscriminate. Yeah. Yep. Well, or no, discriminately. <laughs> well, yeah, very much so. by definition. Um, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, go on sort of a rampage. Um, so Peter, who's wearing the mask at the time, it's so well done, like shoots him. And I love that because the next time we're introduced to him, it's him uh, meeting. Um, what's the blonde? Uh, Roger. Roger uh, down in the basement and he takes his mask off. And it's great because that's where that commentary ends. None of the other characters or anything else like throughout the rest of the movie really address race. Like we just get that right off the bat where like there's there's some really nice commentary there. And then for the entire rest of the film, there's none of that awkward play. We just get to meet Peter and the yeah. movie kicks off. Well, the apocalypse at that point surpasses race. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's just a, a survival thing at that point. You know, there's no more room for prejudice. Um, just survival. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, like a, if we're to go off of like Cormac McCarthy and stuff like that, again, there's always room of for that. Of course, there's but always room for the, <laughs> the dangle bleached embers of evil. But uh, <laughs> um, we're fortunate enough to have like like our the rest of our protagonists like not give a shit, yep. you know, so that w- we don't have to and we can just get into the, the meat of the zombie film. And it works really well for that. It's just like kill the racist, get it over with. Let's let's keep rolling. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about consumerism. You know, the, the film, the film off so i think that's great i love the the priest uh yeah. with the one leg who rolls through in that that cellar scene in, in in general just is is fantastic um sort of after the the, the main project storming like roger mm-hmm. comes down he's united with peter and yeah they have a nice conversation and well and we learned that roger is friends with steven the helicopter pilot from the news station yes and that uh he's like hey my friend has a helicopter he invited me to come with them get out of here tonight like you can come with me too Mm -hmm. so that's how we get our our four characters together which is really nice because two of our four protagonists are like hard-boiled like swat team guys and then you know we've got our helicopter pilot who is otherwise uh completely fucking inept steven is what What's great, too, is before they even meet up with them, that basement scene ends with them having to massacre a bunch of dead that the the, the priest oh, yes. has put down yep. there. Oh, and yes. I, I, I did want to bring that up because it does foreshadow Roger's fate nicely, mm. like um, and his his eventual break, because uh, we, we see how they handle that. And like they both handle it like soldiers. They handle it well. Some more like U.S. Army like guys come through as well. Yeah. They're like, hey, how are you doing down here? They're like, we've got it as a finish off the rest of the zombies it highlights like the horrors of war so mm. well uh you know just that uh it's just it's a gro it's a grody basement and there are these corpses coming corpses coming back to life and they're just kind of using up the last of their ammo just picking them it's off very, and it's like it's very bleak it's and it, it, it's it's the bleak made mundane like it's just turned into manual labor like like just killing all these like killing off these zombies and it's reminiscent of the documentary like the act of killing 
when oh, yeah. the mm-hmm. the one gangster takes the cameraman back to the um like the slaughtering house and he just talks about like how they turned like slaughtering all these people into a science right it's horrifying and uh i don't, I don't think i finished that documentary frankly i think it it, it uh just got to me too heavy but the um film. yeah like it it conjures that same imagery of just you know like it having to become manual labor so like we are starting out with these characters like already like deep in the psychosis of the world they live in like they've already they've already been like brought down to this level like before the opening credits have have finished and again just praise to this movie for how organic it is in its uh exposition like even even in the 70s like this movie knew to just cut to the chase and just to put us in the apocalypse and not frame the apocalypse and then put us in yeah oh, thank god for it and uh, well, yeah that's that's i think one of the film's greatest strengths and i think why it holds up so well after 40 years and even after the dozens if not hundreds of things that it has directly influenced is that it's still very grounded and believable all of the characters feel like real people every situation feels like something you could put yourself in easily nothing feels hyper exaggerated or anything it's all it's all very matter of fact and and down to earth and human which is what it needs to be and like don't get me wrong i love the more you know hyperbolized exaggerated zombie stuff like i love tar man and seeing fucking gutter punks fighting zombies in return of the living dead but i i think that the failings of so many modern zombies be media pieces whatever is that they get lost in the sauce and and you lose you lose that kind of human element that sort of grounded realism where you can like imagine yourself in these horrifying situations and you you lose you lose the realism to fucking talk about at this point the most overdone and overhyped zombie thing the walking dead that show started getting bad when they ran out of realistic stories to tell when they when they ran out of like human characters and every new character that was introduced was a cartoon character yes. that's when that show yeah. started getting bad it's so true it's exactly what and I also when watching. frank frank darabont stopped being involved <laughs> yep that's another big part of it but that's a, that's a different thing well, and, I'm, and i'm sure there are there are many that disagree with that as i i tune into social media and i see people still losing their mind over the series which i in mean fun tangent, good for you but damn when, i don't know i don't understand did you it. guys stop watching the walking dead uh, when they introduce like the settlement that has like the 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 fights and stuff in it the character with the the katana Michonne, oh, Michonne, Michonne yeah. yeah, like that around then, which at the time I thought was cool, but I still just kind of like stopped watching it. I think and, I no. stopped watching around the the coral scene, oh! the infamous coral. Yeah, scene. that, yeah, was, that only think, puts me a few episodes after. I you. think that was like, the, I think that yeah. was the last season that I watched in full. I think I yeah, got, it was for me too. I think I got halfway through the season after that mm-hmm. and gave up. Um, it was just dumb, frankly. Like coral. I, Coral. Oh no! (laughs) Oh no! (laughs) Oh no! 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 
<laughs> you guys, just, quick tangent. Did you guys know that now they're doing yet another Walking Dead spinoff series? Wait, Fear the Walking Dead? That's that's already f- like five seasons deep. They're doing wait, another, is it? They're doing like another one. Slow, stop, slow down. Oh no, I feel I'm, old. <laughs> they're doing another spinoff <laughs> <My> series <laughs> that is just about Rick from the Walking from, from the original oh, series. Oh no! Even after they killed him, now they're bringing oh, him back no. for like a prequel series, which doesn't make any sense. Wait, but we saw everything. Yeah, I know. I don't know what the show's going to be about. Because he woke up in, in the in hospital the just like 28 days later, which yeah. I still can't get over. You know what they're going to call it? Oh, no. The Ricking Dead. <laughs> the Ricking <laughs> Dead. Ooh, that's good. No, uh, Fucking Ricking Morty. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about The Walking Dead is I just don't understand how you can keep it going for that long. You know what I have to say about the second spinoff? Those zombie extras? They're eating tonight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Make an extra dough because of all of the the various episodes so that they can just hang out on set, get some nice craft services, Man, I, get killed off. I still think that one of probably the most fun gigs you can have in the film industry is being a zombie in a zombie movie. Oh, yeah. You have very little responsibility. In terms of acting, all you have to do is shamble around. Mm-hmm. You get to have some fucking awesome-ass makeup done up on you, and you get craft services. Yep. You know what? <laughs> this is a great segue, because this gives me a chance to talk about a couple of my favorite zombies in this movie. Let's do it, yeah. Let's get so, back to Dawn of the Dead. Uh, my first favorite <laughs> zombie in this film is the monk zombie. Oh yeah, the Hare Krishna zombie. Yeah. <laughs> He's just chilling out. He looks very normal outside of the, the makeup, but he's just uh, walking around with his little robe on. And tambourine. Yeah. His, <laughs> his tambourine slung on. Uh, fantastic. My other favorite is the one that grabs the gun. And it's just carrying it around through the rest Holding of the Holding the barrel with two hands. Yeah. Pointing it at its own face. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Because yeah, because it grabs it like that. And yeah. we get, it just keeps we holding get it like that. Great callback to him later at the very end when we see him literally months later still walking around holding the the gun pointed at his face. <laughs> I don't think we need to be super like go through every narrative point of this. So much of the movie is just like fortifying a mall and surviving. But uh, I do want to take a second because we were talking a little bit about uh, the zombie makeup. I love the gore effects. This is a a Tom Savini film. Mm -hmm. I already know Um, where you're going, and I agree. Yeah. However, one of my small nitpicks with the film is that I think the zombie makeup itself does not look very good. And I've always thought that with this movie. It hasn't aged terribly well. I don't think so. You know, especially after this, we've we've seen so many movies with great zombie i mean uh, even just the jump from this to day of the dead Mm -hmm. is like in terms of effects it's miles and and above and i think that and one of the few things i think it is worth praising the walking dead for like is the zombie makeup they look great they they look really good (laughs) totally i absolutely agree um and and i think that 
you know, this film just didn't quite have the budget for uh, Day of the Dead kind of zombie effects yet, and I think that's fine. And I think the, the the issue with this one is that the reason the makeup looks shitty is because it's in color. In Night of the Living Dead, I think they did very similar, if not the same, makeup effects, but it's black and white. So the makeup would just, it just makes them look paler and more gaunt. The shadowing makes them look gaunt. In this, the zombies, they're just kind of blue. They're just kind of like, they're just kind of painted blue. Well, at one point, <laughs> I, 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 ma- I made a joke. Uh, it's when they're storming the projects and we see like the first horde. Um, and they, uh, the door bursts open and the zombies start clamoring out. And they're like, help, someone dropped a bag of cement in this room. We're covered in it. <laughs> yeah, right. like, uh, coming they're out. just gray and dusty. Gray verging on blue. What, what I'll say is like, I mean, corpses do just kind of look gray. It yeah, is. But this, but this doesn't look like corpse gray. This looks like. They got a little excited This looks like it. gray face paint. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What, it's a little heavy. What I, I like, my, my favorite example of it is probably Night of the Living Dead where they use like oatmeal. But in, that's in black and white. Right. So you can get away with like more texture and like play with like lack of color color. And I don't know how that would translate. Probably not. Well, well, yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. But uh, I would have done less. I think I think I that think so, too. It, it, uh, the instances where it looks were the worst is where they just went way too gray. Yeah. With it. It's almost like it's almost clown clownish kind of makeup. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's something to be said for that when we get into the third act and it, the film just briefly does turn into like a circus show yeah they start <laughs> pieing the zombies like literally it becomes it becomes clownish uh in a great way yeah. but that being said the reason why the makeup i don't think is something that i would really dock many points for is that it they totally make up for it with all <laughs> of the make up for other it. effects oh my god yeah the, the practicals the, in this movie are out the, of this goddamn world the gore the squibs the blood when the zombies bite into somebody like all of that stuff i mean it's fucking tom savini like the greatest of all time and when he was still young like he improved past this point but it's still that shit is all so good that I don't mind that the zombies look a little bit like Smurfs. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, that super rich, syrupy blood, too. It's just, it's so vibrant. and uh, It's like paint. It's like thick. It's yeah. like thick paint. Yeah, it just <laughs> yeah. is. And, like, uh, it's so textural. And I, I think that... Uh, it also highlights my one defense of the makeup I'll, I'll bring is like it, it, it's a style. It's a style choice. Sure. Uh, I think that there's something to be said. Like you could you could like Star Trek nerd this and be like, well, it could just be that the virus turns your skin that weird uh, clownish tone. Like yeah. you, you could say that. Um, uh, and the thing is, they don't look like corpses. Yeah. You know, they don't look like walking corpses, which is what they need, which is what they are and what they need to look like. Yeah. But when you're working at this but, grand of a scale, I think. Yes. So many zombies. So many zombies. When you're working at a scale like that in the 70s, like you, you can't you can't pan back like they do once again in like Walking Dead or 28 Days mm-hmm. and get like a, a whole group of CG zombies storming the building. You just have to get real fucking people. And on film, like you're still going to see those all those fucking people right. and you've got to costume all of them. Yep. You you just can't you, don't have you, time. you can't do like complex latex on all those people. So you need to have your zombie virus look consistent. And for that, it works great. Like, in The Walking Dead, they fix a lot of that because a lot of them are, are a lot of the zombies in Walking Dead for 
to their credit, at least in the early seasons, were not CG. They did actually have a shitload of extras. Yeah. But they get away with it by tearing up their clothes and dumping a bunch of fake blood on them. You yeah. don't need to see the actual wounds when they're just covered in fake yeah. blood. Well, they, they switch it up. You know, and, you get you get like the really, really good zombie chase. And they're, you know, like you yeah. can get in the making of cinema. I, I'm, I'm talking too about like the big matte painting shots, like in the city where they zoom back sure. out. Like when I say the, the hordes of CG zombies, which you best believe if this movie was done in modern present day, which it has been and is going to be again apparently we would see that shot where it pans back and there's hordes coming from miles and miles and it's all cg nonsense and, and it, it it wouldn't be better in defense it, of this film to an extent you know every once in a while you'll have kind of a hero zombie of sorts yes uh where they do add extra makeup effects mm-hmm. to it to make it look extra good i think of for example when they're at the gas station after the kids show up you have that extra zombie with uh, that some has like a face scarring mm. and gnarly stuff on its face. Granted, in that scene, you also get the zombie that gets the top of its head chopped off by the helicopter blades, which is great, but that zombie looks like uh, Joe Dirt with gray makeup. <laughs> well, we were joking. It looks like Cleve before he has his morning cup of coffee. Yeah, that's what I said. That's me. But yeah, I, I think highlighting a few of them on a low budget like this is yeah. your well, best way of doing the it. The thing is, too... And where you see, like, they did really have the ability to do it when they wanted to, when uh, Roger dies and comes back, which is a great scene where Ken Forey is just sitting in the room with his gun, just, like, drinking straight from a bottle of Jack, and, you know, he's Roger's covered up on the bed, uh, and he starts moving, and he pulls the cover down to reveal his face. That's the best zombie makeup in the film. You think so? I do. I do think so. I I felt it was a little overbaked. I thought I thought that for someone who had just turned, I like, see to I think look he, so gaunt. I think he actually looks dead, unlike a lot of the other zombies in the film, which is mm-hmm. why I think it's the best makeup. Because like, yeah, his skin is kind of sallow, and like we see him kind of gaunt beforehand because he's been sick for a few days. You know, it's, <sighs> he's he's wasting away. But, like, he actually looks dead. He looks Mm corpse-like. And I I think that, obviously, they they went the extra mile because that's one of our protagonists coming back as a zombie. You know, it's an emotionally charged moment where Ken Forey has to, you know, put him down like old Yeller. So it's it it calls for Old Roger. Old Roger. (laughs) Old Roger. So I, I, I wanted to bring up the makeup because it's one of my, if not my only, tiny gripe with this film because... Everything else is so good. So I just wanted sure. to say it and get it out of the way. Yeah. Well, I want to go back to the the blood a little bit because the hmm. blood, you know, as opposed to the makeup, you know, the gore effects are great. Fantastic. And the blood is so vibrant. And you see Dario Argento's name in the credits a few times on this. Hmm. And it's very clear the lineage of, you know, Giallo, Giallo. to this. Where, you know, you get the ultra-vibrant red blood, where it's not realistic necessarily, but it's fun. Mm -hmm. And the gore is the same way, you know. And especially against, like, the cold gray-blue of, like, the zombie skin, the the really vibrant red blood stands out very much. It's true. And I think um, there's something to be said, too, for, like, when you go that vibrant and red even though like it has more impact, I prefer it personally 
by elevating it to such a degree and making it like so rich, you take away a certain degree of realism, which I think makes it more fun and easy to watch. Sure. Like uh, and more entertaining, which is why I'm here. I, I don't necessarily want just like an exercise in gratuity. And this feels less like an exercise in gratuity and more like a celebration of gore. I, yeah. uh, and I'm 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 on board for that. Like, that sounds fun. It is. Again, see our episode on uh, re- uh, Revenge, Return of the Dead. Return of the Living Dead. Return of the Night of the Dead. And uh, <laughs> yeah, like, see that for, uh, you know, more on that same idea. But yeah, like, I think the Giallo stuff is so prevalent in this. And it makes sense because, you know, Argento helped push Fulci into doing a quasi-sequel for this in, you know, Zombie 2. Yep. And continued the whole series of Italian Dawn of the Dead sequels uh, up to like four or five. Fulci is a weird one. We're going to have to cover a Fulci soon. Um, I also wanted to mention with Argento really quickly that Argento did have an alternate cut of his own for this movie that was shown in Europe and the UK. Where, uh, you know, it's less gory, but more heavy on the Goblin soundtrack. And uh, he kind of takes the subtext out of it and just pushes the music video side of stuff. That's Argento. (laughs) Um, uh, Well, I I mean, he, he is also credited as the composer of the music in this film, him and Goblin. So, like, Argento did have a a major hand in the production of this film in a lot of ways. (laughs) And obviously was very clearly uh, inspired by his stuff. And I think vice versa. I think Argento and Romero had kind of a uh, a symbiotic relationship where they were inspiring each other's work pretty constantly throughout their careers, which is cool. It's yeah, it's cool. Absolutely. I mean, I love that with artists. Like, uh, that's always a good sign, too, because I tend to prefer that over, like, auteurs who are, you know, more about themselves. Like, collaborators are always more fun in my eyes. It's always neat to see that, especially among directors, because uh, yeah. that's I think that's probably less common than actors or um, even composers uh, because like there's I think there's a lot of ego and direction very much so yeah and, and so it's it's less common to see like those sorts of collaborations and it's always nice right so uh, why don't why don't we get into the the meat of uh, how analytical this film is like how well thought out it is it hits all those main points and it's it always feels organic too and that's what I love about it is anytime they're they're talking about why something wouldn't work it's for their own survival not only that but our protagonists with a big old asterisk on this one for the most part are are make all the right choices and are really smart at the beginning i always love that in horror i i'll I'll take it any day like uh, i generally can't stand it when people make dumb decisions that get themselves killed in horror movies i you know slashers do less for me i mean primarily uh uh peter and roger are like the real level-headed ones uh because well, Stephen, I'm well. Stephen, it makes several dumb decisions. But, Stephen is, but at the same time, you know, he's still a human character. Yes, he's still the one that finds the, believably dumb the, decisions. The, the overhead ducks above mm-hmm. the whole mall to get them kind of 
accessing the rest of the mall easily without having to deal with all the zombies. Well, I mean, yes. and of course, like uh, primarily, like before before Roger, even I would I would see that Francine is our most level headed. Like it's it's her and Peter who who are who prove to be from beginning to end of this film, like the ones who only make good decisions. Um, like Francine well, is 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 our really our prime after Peter. Like she's she's the next up when it comes to uh, intelligence and like and smart calls and sound choices. Anytime she has she has a voice, she's she's bringing up good points. Yes, yes, and no. I I will drill down on that when you say anytime she has a voice, she's bringing up good points. That is true. Anytime she has a voice, which doesn't happen until a good way into the film. For the the first half of the film, she is treated by the other characters as a as a useless woman who needs to be protected. And I would right. say I would say that ev- the film even treats her that way for a little while too. Like I think of when they're at the gas station and the single zombie attacks her and Steven and Steven Steven's like tussling with it on the ground, trying to like get at the hammer, and she's just standing there, just watching, yeah. not doing, not doing anything, not helping him. Mm-hmm. And you know, she's the one who gets attacked by the the Buddhist monk zombie in the room later, and is once again relatively useless. And I think that the film's saving grace is that it does not treat her that way for the rest of the film. Yes. After that point, she all of a sudden sort of comes into herself and says like, hey, I'm one of the group. I want to be included in the decision making. I need to learn how to fly the helicopter and I need to know how to how to fire a gun. You're right. Like, I need I need to do these things. And once she gets to that point, Peter is like, yeah, she's right. But Steven's pissed about it. Steven, Steven, Steven has, sucks. Yeah, because Steven sucks. Because <laughs> Steven is, you can tell, like, when she's trying to, when she's saying that stuff, like, he is so fucking huffy about it. Like, he slams the gun down on the table. It's like, yeah, okay, fine, here, dumb bitch, you can have this gun. Well, that's the thing. It kind of expands on Steven's character, too, because he's the one who goes out of his way to bring her along. Right. So he almost acts like he expects some sort of subservient relationship yeah. there. Well, and we find and out around the same time about that. that she's pregnant yeah. with his child, too. Steven, so. yeah, Steven's whole, like, persona is is built around, like, toxic masculinity and his, and his own insecurities that come from that. And it's so yeah. good. It's so well done. And what I do love about Francine is, you know, that is, you're right. And, and I, I, I like that you brought it up the way you did, because it allows us to see an arc with her character. And, yeah. like, she's able to find redemption, even in these dark times. I mean, largely, like, she wasn't allow- allowed to have a voice largely by uh, Stephen By Stephen, right. Um, yeah, exactly. But like I said, true. like, the film does kind of treat her that way, too, uh, for a little while in having her sort of, like, you know, too paralyzed by fear to fight back, you know, which is... Well, what I'll say is, like... like damsel in uh, distress She She does do that, but pretty much every character at some point in this film has that moment where they're like a zombie is grabbing at their leg and they they have to stare at it mm-hmm. for a moment before they can move before they can com- like bring themselves sure. to deal with it 
every character has that moment in the film. Yeah, but we like, get, yes, we get she has multiple it there, but, of those from um, Francine in the first half of the movie. This is true. And in the first half of the movie, like, I mean, it's also the beginning of the apocalypse, you know, like right. I think like everyone at that point is is entitled to their their shock and awe. Um, and the fact that she comes out of it is great. It's great. Yes. Um, well, it's what it's what saves her character and what uh, I think saves the film, too, ultimately, because if she spent the entire film being the character that she is at the beginning, I think it would be major point deduct point deduction from Agreed. the film. And I, I think that it it is even even so in the first half kind of writing that line. But I think, where I it's, think like, where it's, it's like there's uh, something to be said that it could be writing that line with intent. I that's what I wonder to, too. to, to shift our because because you, you do you start out being like uh oh like is this the route it's going to go and then it, it it brings it back around and, and there, what, there's more there's more emotion in that and what you know? I wonder too is that if that is sort of a response to criticism that Romero got from Night of the Living Dead. Because Barbara in Night of the Living Dead spends most of the film like comatose, like she doesn't speak for a lot of the film because she's so paralyzed by fear that she can't do anything. And she's she's useless for pretty much the entire film. Yeah. And I know there was some backlash to that film from that. And it almost makes me wonder if Romero was kind of playing a trick on the audience by setting Fran up to be another Barbara, because I think she very much is in the first half of the film. And then being like, no, actually she is going to reclaim agency. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and I mean, fucking the film is so much better for it. Oh yeah. And, like she doesn't even seem that upset at the end to like leave Steven behind, <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's like she, he's been gone for hours. We gotta go. He's probably dead. <laughs> you know, it's like, she, <laughs> she doesn't really give a shit and, and fucking and good. And I love, too, that in the scene uh, where they've after they've secured the mall and they're kind of like living their faux bourgeois lives, they go to like a fancy dinner at one of the restaurants and Stephen like gives her a ring. It's like, OK, you're pregnant and we're here, so we have to get married. And she's like no, it doesn't mean anything, <laughs> you know, and she gives him the ring back and then we cut to them in bed, like post coitus. And he's just like, so mopey. <laughs> yeah. He has a big old sad cub. Uh, no, uh, Steven is the perfect foil for her character development. Yes. They first find the mall. They, they spot it from the helicopter. They land on the pad. They get down. Steven needs to sleep because he's been piloting for for probably like 24 to 48 hours, mm -hmm. you know. Um, he has to splash himself with water, water while, at a certain while piloting. Point, yeah. yeah, like so he has, to, he has to take a little nap. So in the mean, uh, meanwhile, uh, our two soldier boys want to go explore the mall. They want to you know, they want to find out what's what's going on down. Well, there. I said we're in a mall. We need supplies. They're here. Let's go get them. Yep. The zombies are spread out so we can, you know, if we're clever, we can get our supplies and so much of the movie is that and it's awesome yeah anyway continue yeah no the, the movie just revels in that one idea yeah. and definitely more on that in a moment but they head down but before they do peter says to francine like he, he hands her their other rifle yeah and you know he, he tells her okay you know it's gonna kick you know the usual the usual fare and of course at some point steven wakes up and he him and his toxic masculine 
uh, self, you know, says, oh, well, the boys can't be going and have it all the fun without me and has to go down there and uh, help them, which is great right. because we've already seen how useless he is as a shot and the rest. I love those sequences when they're g- gassing up earlier and <laughs> and uh, uh, Roger like like g- keeps like knocking keeps his gun and up and, and getting the headshots in. It's great. That is so fucking funny. Well, and then that scene ends with Peter Blake putting him on the ground and like putting his own gun in his face is like don't ever point a gun at somebody else Mm -hmm. and like holds a gun in his face like it's scary isn't it yeah isn't it learn some goddamn trigger discipline (laughs) like which is great like and once again getting that out of the way at the beginning of the film too um well and also just like we know that steven's uses for the most part do not extend past his piloting ability mm. like his ability to fly the helicopter because like as you say he takes the the rifle from fran and goes down to hell yeah of course Roger leaving fran completely defenseless leaving like she her, can't she she now can't defend herself which is against when she anything. gets attacked by the Hare krishna oh, yeah all zombie. steven's fault and also when he goes down to help them he ends up alerting the zombies yep because he's a fucking idiot yep and it's like steven's impotence and incompetence is like uh i would say largely the bi- the biggest villain of this film yes no even uh, more so than the than the clown bikers well it's it's always it's always masculinity like it's it's always like hubris that, what that is ends insecurity up, like it's, it's yeah it's it's macho bullshit that that ends up getting pretty much everyone important killed in this movie because he's yeah, trying and- he's trying to show off in front of his girl but he's up against two much more masculine men. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, and, and he hates it. I know. That's it. Another great thing about this film is our two soldier guys aren't toxic. About the well, one of them, you know, isn't. Um, Ro- Roger, Ro- that you know, Roger goes being, a little crazy. Yeah, yeah. That, again, that like his macho bullshit ends up sort of getting him killed. A lot of that can also just be blamed on his PTSD and whatnot. But any other film would stop there. And just have Steven be this dumb fuck character who keeps fucking everything up. But they don't. The film keeps giving you reasons to like Steven again. And I love that. It keeps playing that line so that you can tolerate Steven throughout the movie. Yeah. Because there are plenty of times where I'm like, oh, God damn it, Steven. It would almost immediately try to bring me bring something back around. For instance, he alerts all the zombies. But... During that process, he finds the map and figures out how to navigate the rest of the mall, which Mm -hmm. ends up being their biggest boon because they can navigate the ducks and they can get around. They now have access to the whole of the mall and can can do what they need. Steven keeps making these good choices, too, and they're not just like – positive moral choices they're survival choices because that's what we're being primed for well, and, and that's what we see as important that's like, what i think it's uh, really helps make him more of a human character yeah, he's because dynamic. you know he does have utility in the group beyond just being a character that makes stupid decisions even though he makes plenty of them even <laughs> looking later on in the film when the sons of anarchy appear and he starts shooting at them, you know, they could have easily avoided much of a conflict with them. Well, that was the idea. That's what they were trying to do. Like, let them loot and deal with the zombies. At least that's what leave. Peter was trying to do. 
Right, but then, you know, Stephen, he even says, it's like, this is all ours. We took this. Yes. You know, but that ends up being his downfall, that mm-hmm. that consumerist desire, possession, even though it doesn't mean anything in the apocalypse, this is ours and they're trying to take it from us. How dare they? Yeah. You know, and that's what in, engages the, the, like, actual fight with the bikers, because otherwise they were just going around... Um, Throwing pies at zombies doing literal clown shit <laughs> i can't like th- not like swinging from the banisters swinging and- from the banisters pieing they got those like old-fashioned like soda spray bottles uh-huh. that fucking clowns yeah, like groucho mark i like, Mar- like, like harpo mark in, in their flowers and stuff like when i say literal clown shit like I literal clown shit. Yeah, uh, which the the scene is fucking awesome. It's, oh yeah, it's so funny. Well, like they because they they roll up and like the first thing we hear is like the funny horn theme. Yeah, yeah. they're heralded by I think William Tell on a on a fucking uh, bike horn, uh, which rolls and uh, yeah they they start storming the place and it all could have been just fine. But I, I love I love how after Steven sets off the bikers to engage kill mode and they they start their they start their war um you just get these amazing shots uh like very world like world war ii-esque sniper holding off the germans well that's that's uh, the thing like goes, sequences of peter like crawling through the ducks and like popping up in new places and killing the bikers and it it's fucking wild rules. it's yeah it's <laughs> wild because in the span of just a couple of minutes it a switch is flipped from like uh circus shit to like all quiet on the Western Front, yeah. you know, <laughs> like yeah, and, yeah. and the 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 transition in tone is so well done. Like it's you almost don't even notice it. You know, it's not like oh, all of a sudden we went from pieing zombies in the face to zombies ripping people's guts out. I'll, like I'll tell you how you get away it's with just, it. You, you just if you're gonna bounce around tone like that, just do each one really well. Yep. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. That's all you got to do is just transition well, like either make it jarring or or passive. Pace that out. Because every time the film makes a big pace change or a big has a big tonal shift, it is either jarring it, like in a shock and awe way or it is it is a very beautiful and passive transition mm-hmm. and it is always done like a roller coaster and again it's just good storytelling you know you got to you got to balance it out you got to you got to have you got to have your laughs you got to have your horrible you know gruesome sequences and be wary where the two meet and this film is it, it it's like a fucking ballet the the way it it, it plays with like the horror and comedy and and maintains a degree of realism i never felt like the spell was the the realism like well thought out spell was broken in this movie even when the bikers are going around and they're they're throwing pies in the faces of the zombies it's, they're just having fun it it's it's these these fuckers who have been surviving on the road during the apocalypse for all this time they've been mad maxing they, it, yeah. they have been absolutely mad maxing it that's the sort of thing that they would do and like they would find those pies they've, they've had the power running in this mall yeah they they get um, they're just trying to they, get their kicks they're man. trying to they're get just, their kicks they're just having they're, fun they're so comfortable around zombies at this point that they'd absolutely do that and dick around yeah so it it makes perfect sense for it to happen so like the comedy is is still well enough placed in the movie as hilarious and as wild as it is and as you know bird shit as it is there is the one who's wearing the sombrero who is weirdly obsessed with testing his blood pressure 
one of those like uh, yeah. arm cuff things to like we see him we see him doing it at one point and then like he gets distracted before he can press the button but then like when shit is really hitting the fan and the place is swarming with zombies and the rest of the gang is like leaving as he's running past it he stops and puts his arm in it and gets his arm stuck and then the zombies proceed to, to come up and, ri- and rip him apart while he's trapped it's like are you that concerned that you might be hypertensive that it's like this is the only chance i'm gonna get i, I gotta check my blood pressure before i get out of here I love it. it. Yeah, I love that's it too. A, I love that's it too. a hilarious it's not, sequence. It's not a complaint. It's well, not a complaint. What I'll say is like he's he's probably like coked out of his mind. Oh, almost certainly. This this yeah, guy yeah. is is blitzed as fuck. So I'll allow it. Yeah, like, just uh, a I'll, bunch for, of once again for realism. Bikers. For realism, I'll yeah. That I think that one that I one love, can work. Yeah, I they're, love they're, the, they're literally cranked out. What that one of the main bikers is uh, is Tom Savini, and I love the introduction to his character. Uh, To all of them. Well, we see him, him specifically, because we see him and and the other one like watching them through the binoculars when they're planning to attack the mall. And it cuts to him and he holds up like a switchblade and clicks the button. And instead of a knife, it's a little comb for his mustache. I had one of those when I was a kid. I thought (laughs) it was the coolest, funniest shit. It is it is both cool and funny. You're yeah. not wrong. <laughs> and it's such like a, like, and that's like the introduction we get to the bikers. And I feel like that's such a great setup oh, yeah. to all of the 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 goofiness that is to come. Is it is Tom Savini's mustache comb switchblade again making that choice to not just have the bikers be gruff tough evil biker mad max dudes to give them that uh oh yeah actually you know mad max has pretty like uh dynamic characters as well i mean cartoon cartoonishly these guys really feel whole they 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 feel they feel believable you know they're they're they've got a little you know cabin fevery on the road and uh yeah they they could have just let them pass through like a storm if it wasn't for steven fucking it up like they could have just gone through raided them all you know taken what they wanted trashed it and and still have their security the zombies were still rolling through but they would still have their safety of their room in the ceiling yep and well and they even construct uh cleverly but obviously not not enough they construct a fake wall in front of the hallway that leads to the stairwell um that goes to that their their Mm -hmm. safe room and they seal it off so they said if anybody does come along and break in and is looting they won't even know the staircase is there we can just like hide out in safety until they're gone which is in fairness, what they tried to do here. That's a goddamn clever not, idea. Not for fucking Steven, yeah. What's such a, a, a great thing about that is that when Steven dies and comes back as a zombie, he leads the other zombies to the room. And once again, that, that idea of, like, the zombies have, like, retaining something, there's, like, an echo of their former selves, like, it is foreshadowed. That's, that's what, as they say, that's why they're drawn to the mall, because there's some part of them that remembers, you know, they're drawn by their need to consume, they know that they want to be there, but they don't remember why. Um, you know, that's why when Fran asks, who are they, Peter's response is, they're us. Ideology. You know, uh, and on that note, I, I have a, before we wrap up because we are running kind of long um i just have a um a, a brief little talking point thematic talking point that i wanted to hit i was i think i heard, i think it was in a podcast i was listening to the other day or maybe i read somewhere um somebody 
framed it as um, that zombies as a horror genre are representative of the bourgeois fear of the proletariat, while vampires are the proletarian fear of, of the, the bourgeoisie. bourgeoisie. I love that. And yeah. I, I think that that's I think that that's interesting. But at the same time, I was trying to apply it to this film, and I, I think that this film is is in that way kind of the exception because I don't think that this is a particularly like bourgeois film. Like I don't. I think no, no, it no. comes I, with I think it's the proletariat. It's the proletariat sphere. The proletariat. Where, Say that again. Know, I think it's with historical context too because mm-hmm. this is pre-zombie craze Mm. you know i think the ideology of that thought process is very valid in things like the walking dead for example and i think i very much agree with that and i think it's you know you look at the ultra rich making elaborate bunkers yeah and things like that and it's the same type of thing it's the what's the thing escape from you know, humanity. If the apocalypse ever comes, as long as you're rich enough, you can ride it out, but you have to stay away from the, uh, the mindlessly consuming masses, you know, that, mm-hmm. that will show up at your gates to try to take what's yours, you know? Yeah. You got to figure out how you pay your help without having them taking over too. Right. Yeah. And I think this film nails it because it's the proletariat. It's fear of the proletariat, mm-hmm. right? Like it's, it's the fear of just being, one of the mob it's yeah. the fear within like it's i mean that's how i see it being a member of the proletariat like yeah. like i look at this film and i think like yeah that's well that's it is us that's like that's why he says like and that's what that's roger says as he's dying you know he's like he says he says peter promise that you'll take care of me yeah. like after i after i'm gone i'm gonna i don't want to be one of them I'm going to try to not become one of them, you know, and I I think there is something to be said where it's like there's that continual strivance to not be part of the dead shambling masses, you know, but who made them that way, right? But capitalism, Mm -hmm. capitalism made made us this way, you know, Uh, so I think that there is still uh, there is still something to be said. Well, and, and to it, it's why, like, I I appreciate, like I mentioned earlier, they just, they, kill, like, they just kill the racist cop at the beginning of the movie, you know, and like mm. Peter rides it out by allowing the zombie other to be consumers. We, again, like, don't have to deal with that concept of, like, the zombies being a racial other or like a, a metaphor for, like, xenophobia or yeah. anything like that is gross and we don't want to engage in and and it 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 just right off the bat like sets you free you don't have to worry about that like it it is clearly a metaphor for this instead and and thank god a lot of zombie media misses that ball and does play into that and i'm not about it yeah and i think the other big trope that zombie movies often fall into that this movie avoids which i really appreciate is they don't really go into why the zombie apocalypse mm-hmm. is happening. Yeah, who cares? And I, yeah, exactly. It's happening. Who cares why it's happening? In the moment, no one cares about that. It's yeah, happening. Exactly. It is what it is. It's What you care about is how is it happening to the people I care about? That's what we give a shit about. Exactly. Yeah, it's Boots wh- on the ground. It's why I think it's so futile to be arguing over, like, where did COVID come from? It doesn't fucking matter. Just let's just get fucking rid of it. Yep. You know, like, I don't have time to entertain whether it was a bioweapon or somebody eating a bat at a at a wet market. You know, I don't give a shit. 
doesn't fucking matter. We're stuck with it right now, and it's fucking killed thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people in this country alone. It's like, who gives a shit where it came from? Yep. Other than, you know, like, if, if you need to understand where it came from to... Oh, okay, sure, yeah, if like, you're a scientist. Yeah, if you're a science it, yeah, man. Yeah, okay, but we're, but, talking, but we're talking about... But from, I'm a dumbass. Yeah, no, no, okay. but I know, no, what we're you mean. About it, from, we're yeah. talking about from a proletarian standpoint. No, 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 absolutely. Like It doesn't matter. To, Give me my vaccine. Yeah, to, to summarize, like, let's stop pointing fingers. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I, well, no, I'll, I'll fucking point fingers at the ones who are <laughs> failing to give me my goddamn vaccine. Go off, King. It's not the place for it. But, uh, <laughs> like, point your fingers at the right people. That's all I'm saying. One last thing I want to cover really quickly is I adore the music in this movie. Yep. It's one of my favorite soundtracks. I think Goblin is at their peak in this movie. There's multiple great melodies and the diegetic music is used for some great comedic effect at times the 70s mall muzak that they put on to like distract the zombies and also just like how to, to have the film end on that with the the credits you know after peter and fran fly off in the helicopter also love the way that ends where he asks how much fuel do we have she says not much she's like all right. <laughs> and they just we're, fly. we're flying this helicopter on hopes and dreams. Right. Like. And then just ends with just a credits montage of the mall flooded with zombies, the consumers consuming with this hokey ass fucking carnival music playing over the whole thing. And I love it because as as futile as it feels, there is still some small amount of hope because these are our two smartest characters. Yeah. They could just land on another mall. Well, there's there's something to and be do it again. There's something to be said for the fact that like Peter does have like a great moment of weakness before that when he tells Fran to leave and he says, I don't want to go. I really just don't. It's like he sees the futility of like what they're doing. It's like, we're really just biding our time. We can't outrun this forever, but you know, it's in that last moment where he's about to, you know, put a bullet in his head. He doesn't say anything, but something clicks in him. that says like, you know what? Nope. It is worth it to keep fighting. Even if it's just for the sake of fighting. Well, instinct kicks in. Yeah. Like there's a zombie coming for him and he puts the gun to his head and instinct kicks in and it's survive. And he, he shoots the zombie because like, uh, it's I not a choice. It's a hardly real- a choice. I think it's because he has a realization that, that if he succumbs, then he's just one of them. Yep. Even no. if he kills himself, like yeah, even if he, you know, like, yeah, um, he's just he just becomes one of the dead. Yeah. So he decides to fight just for the sake of fighting, and that's why his there's just that resignation. It's like we don't have much fuel left. All right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's you know, like uh, embrace your death, meditate on your death. You will be able to approach life better if you you recognize like the the reality of that. You can get past it. You can move forward. It's fucking rad to see the movie end in that way. Um, yeah. And it's it's yeah, it's it's much more powerful. Going back to the the score real quick. Um, I do I do love how uh, elegantly like it it transitions uh, between genres. Um, and how often the music could just be the mall speakers. When it's not, it sets the tone so well. There's just some great Carpenter or Morricone 
esque driving synth lines. I well, definitely hey, man, need to see. Give Goblin there too. Goblin pioneered that shit just as much as uh, as Carpenter and Morricone did. And, yeah. Uh, and well, that, that's the funny thing. I uh, that was my that's my next point is that. I'm not really familiar. Like when uh, I said, "Wow, who did this score? It's really good." You and Ben, but we're both like Goblin, duh. And I was like, "Who Goblin! the fuck is Goblin?" Which has been in my head this whole time. <laughs> that was my next next bit. Is I cannot hear that name without thinking of Italian Spider Man. Goblin. Uh, Goblin. Uh, well, yeah. Shit. I mean, you just you just need to see some Argento films. I do, and then yeah. you'll know Goblin because Goblin did the. You gotta watch for, the like, original Suspiria. I do. The best thing about that movie is the Goblin score. <laughs> All right, boys, are y'all ready to rate? We have we have yeah. gone for a good long minute. Hey, this this episode has been uh, much like this film all over the place tonally, but in a good way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully, you decide. Um, Who wants to start? I'll start. First off, I want to say we watched the original cut. There's about 20 cuts out there. <laughs> Much like Blade Runner. Um, there's the extended can cut. There's the ultimate final cut. There's the Argento European cut. There's the second site remaster. And then there's this one. We watched the original cut. Romero says this is the definitive version. Um, so we went with it. I, I think trust it goes. I trust Romero with his own work. Even though he went on to make some questionable zombie movies later in his life. Yeah, when he was old. Yeah. Who cares? Um, but I think it goes without saying that this is a five out of five. Yeah, a big old ditto that. I mean, how can you not? It, 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 I have no I have no complaints about this film. The commentary rules, the, the production rules, it, it is very easy for me to justify the the gray makeup already a a very tiny nitpick to begin with so i have nothing i have nothing bad to say about this film everything rocks about it i will be watching it again hell yeah it has aged very well it really has i mean again better than the things that it inspired almost just across the board better than 28 better than the rest and and uh yeah what are you what are you doing like watch watch the movie if you haven't because it's really the only zombie movie that i think is there are so many great ones. There, there, there are plenty of great zombie movies, but this one is crucial. And it, in my eyes, it's the best I've seen so far. Maybe that'll change. I, I just watched it, but I doubt it. This movie fucking slaps. Five, five out of five. Yeah, uh, I won't be the one to keep this from a golden pod this week. Uh, I'm also going to give it a five out of five. Despite my very minor critiques with the makeup, um, no, it's still it's still a perfect it film. It deserves it. It definitely does. I mean, it's, uh, it is a classic for a reason, and uh, it's easy to see why an entire generation of filmmakers was excited by this movie and wanted to try to uh, do their own spin on it, and a lot of whom have failed <laughs> uh, catastrophically. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a, a unanimous five out of five for Dawn of the Dead. We used the term indie and low budget once or twice, and I, I do I do want to bring home the fact that like this movie is grand in scale yeah. and scope, and it is not low budget. It's like, not to, lo- it's not low budget I, it, in the way it's not low budget in the way Night of the Living Dead was. Not even close. Like he definitely had Romero definitely had some funding on this. Yeah. That being said, like, scale. when we say low budget, it's like, well, where they decided to cut corners for the sake of other things. Yes. I.e. just 
shellacking some grave face paint onto a bunch of the yeah. zombies. So budget. Could, yeah. You know, not necessarily low budget, but budget. Is, yeah. They, um, yes, that's that's a good way to put it. It's a budgeted yeah. film. And, yeah, and, and for that, the budget is so well managed. Oh, my God. Holy shit. Holy shit. That's worth saying. That's worth mentioning. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, actually, I'm going to take that back. Uh, the budget for this movie, this was a low-budget movie, and even better managed than I thought, half a million dollars. Half a million dollars in 1978. Yeah. yeah. That, is, it worth, made, that uh, is worth noting. $66 million at the box office. Fuck yeah, yeah. I would wow. say pretty great return there. Fuck yeah, so it did. half a million was worth a lot more 40 years ago than it is now, but still a relatively low-budget film. Um, and, I mean, just... It's just a bunch of great artists making great art, really. Yeah. You know, um, you can do if you've got if you've got strong vision mm-hmm. and talented creators. Yeah, the you right can, people, man. You can do a lot with a little. That's true. You don't need budget to make a great movie. There, there's no doubt about that. Anywho, um, before we sign out, uh, since the theme of this episode in this film is consumerism. Cleveland, how are we getting paid this week? What are we uh, recommending that our audience go consume? This episode was brought to you by the the boys who made your favorite uh, uh, spray soda bottle. Uh... Jerry's boys. <laughs> Jerry's boys. Uh, get your get your bottles and sp- spray your soda with them. I don't know how those things worked. Uh, I've seen them in plenty of movies, but I I don't I don't know what they did or or why. I guess they sprayed soda. Yeah. Um. I guess it carbonated it. Yeah. Ask Jerry and his boys. How they did it. They're the experts. Jerry's boys. Thanks, Jerry. And their bottles. And all your boys. <laughs> Spray that soda, I, I guess. I think. All right. Well, uh, that'll bring us to the end of this week's episode. What do we have on the agenda next week? So, uh, this week was supposed to be a guest episode, but it ended up fizzling out, which is fine. This is still a great movie. Uh, but this upcoming week is my pick. I was going to pick uh, Dave the Beast, but since we just talked about Dawn of the Dead, I feel like it's almost necessary to talk about the remake of Dawn of the Dead. Oh, move on to Zack? Yeah. Okay. All right. Especially since Army of the Dead is coming out later this year. Presumably. You know, it's Zack Snyder returning to the zombie franchise. I'm going to preface this right away. Before the episode comes out, I haven't seen the Zack Snyder Dawn of the Dead remake since middle school. I've never seen it. I have never seen it either. But of the movies I've seen of his, it's his best. That's a low bar granted. Oh, yeah. But it's still his best. (laughs) It's written by James Gunn, too. I will say that much. That does a lot of heavy lifting. James Gunn also wrote the Scooby-Doo live-action movie. This is true. (laughs) So, Uh, But he originally wrote it R-rated, so we don't know. uh, There's a lot lot there. That's a whole conversation. He also wrote Scooby-Doo, too. (laughs) 
Army of Monsters. Hey, I haven't seen it. Have you? Maybe it's... I I have, and it's bad. (laughs) But the important thing is that he didn't write Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. Uh, Okay, well, yeah, all right. I guess this is uh, part one of an impromptu original versus remake. I don't don't get that Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island joke. Are you saying it's bad? No, never. Good. I wrote a nine-paragraph <laughs> essay on that movie. Can't believe that's more work than I've done for any film we've talked about on this podcast. Fuck that episode rules. I love that. Uh, so okay, cool. Well, uh, yeah. Next week, I guess we're, we're talking about Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead remake. Yeah. Well, let's see how it is because I haven't seen it either. Uh, until then, if you like the show, please uh, head on over to your local Apple Podcasts. Uh, and like the good consumer you are, smash those five stars and ask for more, and we will deliver. Or Stitcher, or however the fuck you're listening yeah, to this Yeah, however you listen to it. Um, and, online. Uh, online, because yeah. that's where we are. Uh, speaking of, we are online at uh, Twitter. <laughs> on Twitter. We at, are at the online. We are, we are at the online. Come on, on down Twitter. to the online store and... Uh... At Give us pod, a follow at Pod People Pod, and you can also check out our Letterboxd at letterbox.com/podpeoplepod, where you'll find a whole list of all the films we've talked about on the show for you to consume. You, you, That's right. mindless shambling beast. And you can find there the hallowed halls of the Golden Pods, where uh, Dawn of the Dead has taken its rightful place with its brethren. Yep. Um, I'm on Twitter at some spooky snake. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Sheets. And I'm occasionally tweeting for Light Arc Studio as we further progress on its stairs b- back. Go check it out. And uh, it's on Steam. And, Tower call and, coming soon. Oh yeah, it's coming soon. Um, and that's that's all. Oh well. Um, also, uh, you can check out my work on Art Station if you search Cleveland Mosier. Uh, shoot me an email. I occasionally do uh, little freelance doodles for people, and by doodles I mean elegant paintings and shit. Uh, you'll see it. You'll know. Um, and uh, yeah, hit me up. And uh, you're great. <laughs> Kisses. All right. <laughs> But, but platonically, you know, nothing weird. Yep. You just made it weird. But, oh, I'm so sorry. Bye. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry. Bye.